This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Wow, this stuff is bright. Um, my name is Anna Brusuri, uh, and uh, I am uh, uh, very, very pleased to uh, welcome Professor Nafisi here. He was supposed to be with us at the uh, New Waves, uh, during the New Waves uh, series, and then uh, he had to postpone, but finally we're here all together, and I'm very happy. Um, and he's going to talk about the uh, uh, film in a second, but let me introduce him for a second, right? The uh, uh, Professor Nafisi is a preeminent scholar and a leading authority in cultural studies uh, of uh, diaspora, post-colonial uh, media, and Iranian and Middle Eastern cinema and media. His background includes degrees in telecommunication, production, and critical studies. The great combination of production and critical studies. He has written or contributed to a dozen books, including his monumental uh, four-volume Social History of Iranian Cinema and the 2001 Accented Cinema, Exilic and Diasporic Filmmaking. He is uh, Hamad bin Khalifa um, Al Thani Professor uh, of Communication at Northwestern University. And last year, he uh, joined a selected group of people because he was... Uh, he participated in the Field Notes project, right, for the uh, SCMS, right, and uh, was basically, you know, elevated to the pantheon of the SCMS. Uh, he uh, also has started two festivals in his spare time, obviously, uh, the <laughs> Los Angeles and Houston a Festival of Iranian Cinema. Uh, and uh, as I was saying, <laughs> my favorite tidbits of his career he has made a film on Beethoven uh, titled Triumph Over Silence, uh, derived also, my understanding is, from the notes that Beethoven left, right, on his own losing of his, of his uh, hearing, of his senses. So uh, he is a, an incredibly eclectic and uh, wonderful person, and I'm so glad that he is here tonight with us. So, yes, please. Thank, thank you very much for that uh, effusive uh, introduction, and I'm glad that you guys are ditching the presidential debate to, to come here instead, and I hope that what we will tell you <laughs> is more interesting. So the film we've just seen by Jafar Panahi, right? I mean, uh, the uh, uh, part of the so-called Iranian new wave, right? I mean, and uh, uh, he was a, a assistant to Abbas Kiarostami at the beginning of his career and became a bit of his protege. He uh, came to fame. I mean, the film that really brought him to the attention of the international community was White Balloon from 1995. And basically, he has a menagerie of prices from all over the place. He has the Golden Leopard from Locarno, the Golden Lion from Venice, and the Silver Bear from Berlin for, for those uh, three films, The Mirror, 
the circle and offside. So this is a, uh, an incredibly important and extremely you know, uh, sensitive observer of uh, Iranian society. Um, you might want to talk a bit about why he was arrested, right? And what it, uh, what are the implications of making films that are rejected by a regime in Iran? Yeah. Um, the, before doing that, let me just say, since you brought up the Kiarostami uh, mm-hmm. um, um, uh, uh, mastery and, and the fact that Panahi worked with him. To say something, to make a, a bit of an, an analogy between the Iranian art house films after the revolution and the the, the neorealist uh, uh, school of filmmaking in Italy, um, um, of course, uh, these were 40, 50 years apart uh, right. or more. The, the, but it's instructive to, to make a very quick uh, comparison in the... The uh, both of the uh, neorealist and uh, Iranian arts films were uh, are, are geographically bounded. Right. The uh, the the Italian neorealist films were shot in Rome for the most part. Um, and in in, Iran, in the case of Iranian films, the art house films, and a lot of them are taking place in the cities, but some mm-hmm. of them also in the country, right. away from the, the the hustle and bustle of cities. The second the, the characteristic uh, of, of these uh, both these schools is that they are temporarily bounded. The neorealist films were basically from nineteen from the war era to right. 1951. Right. You know, small period of time. And they were made, these films were made about that period, in that period. Same thing with the Iranian art house films, uh, were made after the revolution uh, from 1979 um, uh, onward. And, and many of them are dealing with those topics. They're not going back to history or to right. dealing with, with other things, they're dealing with contemporary times. The third, the, the third uh, 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 characteristic is that the existence of certain masters. In, in the case of the Italian neorealists, you had the Sikos, Avatini, and so right. on and so forth. And in the case of Iranian new, new art house films, you have Kiarostami. So the impact of these uh, these masters on the um, on the disciples, which is the fourth category. If you have masters, you have to have disciples. And so you have people like Obadi or Panahi or uh, Rasulov and you know other filmmakers who are sort of the disciples of the of these leaders. Uh, and lastly, which is a point that we will talk about more in the course of our conversation, is the, the formation of certain rules of uh, aesthetics, uh, of narrative, storytelling, and right. so forth, that really makes these films to uh, stand out. Um, well, let, me, let me just point out something, since you brought up you know, this uh, idea of place and location. Uh, Kerostami has ended up making films abroad, too, in Japan, right? And, and, uh, but, um, but Panahi has refused categorically. He's like, I'm, I'm making films in Iran. I mean, there's a famous quote, uh, you know, and, and if I cannot make them, I just won't make them, right? Yes, I mean, he, 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 well, first of all, he probably can't leave the country. Right. <laughs> and while in country, he, he had a 20-year sentence um, 
uh, uh, as he mentions in the film, uh, against him making films, against him uh, doing interviews with the media up abroad or at home, and six years additional jail term. Uh, and during this film, uh, he's waiting to hear uh, the result of his appeal to the court. Um, so he's basically, in a way, he is an internal exile. Right. He can't leave the country and he can't make films. So what is he going to do? Right. And that's, uh, but you were saying before um, that there is an underground uh, filmmaking collective, right? Um, or not a collective, but you know, film, filmmakers, right? Making films in uh, a surreptitious way. And then, and then, you know, the old flash drive in the cake strategy, how do they get them out, <laughs> right? <laughs> how do they get them out of the uh, country as well? You can see the sneakiness of the Iranian filmmakers in that you know, first episode of this film where they're talking about various mysterious things uh, on the phone and everything is nebulous, everything is ambiguous. Uh, somebody's doing something to somebody and, and, and it's just the way people learn to communicate. And a lot of information is being communicated, except you have to know the, 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 the evasive right. and coded language that, 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 that people use. So yes, underground filmmaking, that's a good point to bring up because really uh, a lot of people who learn or who watch Iranian films, uh, they get the impression of a kind of a monolithic uh, film culture and film uh, world. Uh, uh, because a lot of the films that come out of Iran are belong to the art house category, uh, while in Iran they're very. It's a very diverse filmmaking uh, industry. You have from state-supported films to uh, popular films to all kinds of other films, including the underground. The question about the underground films, I think, is really. Um, uh, important, then I should go into it a little bit uh, because it applies to this film in particular, of course. Uh, underground filmmaking means filming without the mandatory official permit. In Iran, after the Islamic Revolution, you had to have a permit um, um, for your um, script summary. If that was approved, then you go write the damn script. <clears throat> then you submit the names of the cast for approval. Then you hand in the screenplay for review. If that was approved, then you go and shoot your film. Then you submit your rough cut. If your rough cut was, uh, was approved, uh, or if they asked you to make some changes, then you go and, 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 and re-edit the film and, and produce the release print of the film. After you finish the release print, you have to submit it for exhibition permit. So there are you know, seven or eight different uh, um, um, hurdles to, to, uh, uh, to cross. And it, it, uh, filmmakers learn uh, to play and to negotiate and to undermine. And you know, it's, if you watch Iranian films with uh, a number of them, you'll see and, uh, many, many examples. And we can go through uh, to, to, to some of them. It also, underground filmmaking means working without official supervision. Oftentimes, in, to make films, you have to have a government minder to go with you on location, whatever you're shooting, to make sure that you're 
that the behavior of the cast and crew on the set is uh, not immoral, that the women are availing themselves proper, properly, their alcohol is not being drunk, and you know, those sort of things. As it should be. Huh? Right. Yes. Just kidding. <laughs> um, it means taking multiple personal, financial, uh, professional risks, working clandestinely, on the run, in a guerrilla style of filmmaking, using small budgets, small crew, um, portable uh, equipment, digital equipment, low-tech equipment, anything you can imagine. He's using his cell phone, for example, in this film to shoot some of the scenes. Um, um, Using informal um, private exhibition of the film at home and... uh, exporting of the footage of the film or the entire film abroad for exhibition uh, abroad. And that's how the, the, he hid his uh, edited film in a thumb drive inside a birthday cake and sent it abroad to, to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, um, as such, you could say that uh, the, the, the underground film is both locally um, deeply local, that is, and also uh, deeply international. That's right. Um, um, and the, the localness of it in Iran is that it is very interstitial. It's very, you know, falls between the cracks of the system. The, and they deliberately want to fall in, uh, in the cracks. They don't want to stand out uh, and be noticed and be uh, harassed and, 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 and thrown into jail. Um, lastly, I suppose that the last two things I'm going to say is, is became a long thing, was that uh, thematically underground films really often deal with taboo subjects, uh, whether they are uh, oftentimes uh, uh, political uh, uh, topics. Uh, stylistically, they use improvisation, um, spontaneity, incompleteness, uh, ambiguity, um, um, and the mixing of uh, realism and, uh, and, 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 and fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and all kinds of other avant-garde, like self-reflexivity in this film. He's, he's constantly talking to his cameraman uh, back and forth. Right. Uh, he's not supposed to, uh, he's not supposed to direct the film, right? <laughs> so when he says cut, the cameraman says, you can't give me cut. Because that's the director's job, and then, you know they go back and ba- go back and forth, uh, making fun of the of a very serious business that's, that uh, that that they're uh, having to work under. Uh, so I think the kind of uh, sense of humor in the film is, uh, I think, also uh, a kind of a um, something that Iranians are are good at and take pride in being able to diffuse and undermine everything and every authority that you can imagine. Um, and it's also the way that they can actually live in a very difficult uh, um, situation. But the artfulness of life is, you can see in this film, uh, the, the complexity and artfulness of, of, of daily existence um, is... Uh, this film embodies uh, those tensions. And those tensions and artfulness are what gives you your, your life a kind of agency. 
if everybody follows the laws and does things they're supposed to do, then you don't feel that you have much agency in society unless you are accomplishing something on your own. But if you are bucking the system and fighting the system and undermining it and achieving small little glories here and there, you, uh, you feel good about that. I like when he's smirking because he's having a conversation with the lawyer and she's saying, well, you know, you might be able to cut down, you know, the sentence. And it's like, well, I don't want to go to jail, basically. You know, why do I have to go to jail for this? It's like, oh, but, you know, we can, well, they're never going to cancel. They're never going to, you know, but, and, and, it's, and it's grotesque. It's completely surreal. Because it's uh, somebody is discussing the fact that you are going to be lucky if you go to jail for fewer years than what you know you were supposed to be sentenced to for what for making a film, and um, I I was thinking about the second film that he makes after he's not supposed to make films right is uh, the closed uh, closed curtain mm. uh, that he made in his at his beach house and uh, so with closed curtains i mean obviously because they they couldn't see them and when it was uh, premiered at the berlin film festival they uh, received a note from the government saying that as you know a license is needed to make films in this country so far the islamic republic has been patient um, so the reprisal, of course, the constant threat, right, for uh, against the possibility of uh, uh, free, you know, expression. I mean, is constantly there. I thought such an ominous, an ominous uh, uh, line. And uh, other, of course, directors were blocked, were prevented from doing things. Uh, but let me just talk a little bit about the film specifically, right? I mean, I, I mentioned um, this is kind of a nothing happening film. And yet, everything is going on. I start laughing at the moment when I see him having breakfast because I know that he's going to, you know, he's going to get a call and he's going to say something like, "Oh no, 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 don't talk. Just come over. Can I, you know, can you come over? No, no, just, just, just come over. Don't talk, right?" I mean, the idea. And uh, and from that point on, he continues right to kind of try to direct his life in this way. So the mm. nothing happening film actually refers to all the most important milestones in his career, right? The three films that really put him on the map and you see little tidbits, right? Uh, and uh, It's also, at the same time, he's sitting there having his bref- breakfast. Right. For, for those who haven't seen what Iranian breakfast looks like, although this is not typical necessarily, but it's, it's a, a mundane daily activity that he shows us all alone sitting there, uh, and, and having his breakfast. Where the hell is his family? Uh, you know, um... His family is with his mother, right? Because they can go to his, to his mother, and, and he can't. And it's Actually, just... he couldn't send, you know, he, 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 he couldn't go. He, he was supposed to go to Toronto, I think, to show his film. He couldn't go, so he sent uh, his wife and daughter huh? to, to go and represent the film there. So, yeah, they could go out, but he couldn't go out. They... The cameraman, uh, uh, Mir Tahmas, also um, uh, was able to right. to leave the country. We had a conference with him in, in Edinburgh uh, a few years back. Um, but he, as a director, right. could not. Um, right. uh, so what this film is about is not just uh, uh, trying to make a point about not being able to make a film, but it's also reaffirming 
the uh, firm collaborations that he has had, the friends, the supporters, the international pressure. You can hear, right, all the phone calls about international pressure. This is when they're going to, they might relent if that is going on. Also, he questions the artifice itself, which is part of his work. I mean, this, the uh, constant self-reflexive moments, right? The kid who takes off her cast and he says, well, maybe I should, you know, I should stop doing this. I mean, this is, I have to have a moment of truth, a moment of reality, right? And it just gets up and, uh, and compares that to his film. Or the, the uh, unforeseen gesture by the actor, right? In that terrible moment, I've seen that film and it is uncomfortable. That's one of the most uncomfortable moments in the film. Uh, when he is humiliated in front of the woman that he loves. Uh, and, uh, and, and that's when, after that moment with the unforeseeable gesture, we see the iguana doing all the unforeseeable right moments of crawling around. <laughs> Can you talk about the iguana? <laughs> it's my favorite character. Yeah, it's an amazing scene, the iguana. I, I mean, my interpretation of the iguana scene is that in a way, the, the iguana is Panahi. Uh, here's a soul, odd-looking uh, um, individual in this household and who um, is creeping, crawling on the sofa, on the back of the sofa, up the, the bookcase, behind the books, you know, all over the place, in the way, in some ways, symbolically, the way Iranian filmmakers operate. You know, the filmmaking is not a straightforward uh, um, uh, operation. It's, it's full of sinews and dead ends and, and sideways and byways and so forth. And, and in a way, he, he is, the, the iguana is him. It's uh, a, a filmmaker who goes against the grain and who stands out. And uh, I have to also say that this film was made during the time of the, t- t- in 2009 when uh, 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 Ahmadinejad was re-elected uh, to be president of Iran in what uh, turned out to be a, a rigged election. So there was a lot of demonstrations against and we can hear, right, I mean, the, not only on the phone, you know, the guy saying there are lots of people, you know, out in the streets, uh, but also there is almost this ominous sense of, you know, strange noises coming from the construction site, right? Yeah, those noises are part of what the film describes as a, um, a Wednesday celebration. It's, it's a particular celebration in Iran that, that takes place, sort of like Halloween uh, in, mm. in, in, in this country, once a year, uh, during which people uh, do a lot of fireworks. Mm. Uh, public, huge, elaborate fireworks in public squares, and, and also the kids in the streets in their own neighborhoods you know, use fire, uh, fireworks uh, of smaller scale right. to frighten everybody else and, and, and so forth. So it's hard to uh, so it's sort of mixing the fireworks with the with the 2009 demonstrations, which uh, were momentous in the in in the in the in the up in after the revolution, uh, almost a revolution, mini revolution by itself took place, and and uh, he stayed put nevertheless. But after that is uh, uh, a more liberal 
president was elected, so maybe it did have an effect. So uh, Panahi was, since you mentioned the revolution, he was a kind of a, a teenager when yeah. the revolution took place, right, yeah. 79. Yeah. So he grew up with that. He even served in the army. He was actually captured by the Kurds. He was imprisoned. Uh, and so Panahi then comes out of those experiences. And uh, in his films, he kind of is working through some of these issues. Uh, could you talk a bit about what he's doing when he is following children, for instance, right? I mean, uh, some of his early films are about children. Right. Yeah, that, I think that uh, is part of the, 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 the art house cinema aesthetics. The use of children as, uh, as the uh, protagonist of the films... Um, and the use of the use of non-actors, right. and the use of colloquial dialogues, uh, not not uh, uh, the scripted dialogues, uh, and, and so forth. The children became important uh, partly because of the women's problems, so to speak, after the revolution, uh, where the the dictates of the new government was that women had to veil themselves from um, in in public from uh, men and had to wear the uh, a veil that basically you've seen in, in Iranian films, head-to-toe um, cloth that they wear, uh, and they should not show uh, bare legs, they should not be active on bicycles. I mean, all of these rules uh, they should not show. They should not, even in some of the films, the, um, the shot, when you have shot, reverse shot, you should not have a shot reverse shot that involves a desirous look oh, uh, between the two. You should not have touch male and female touching each other if they're not married to each other. So Iranian artists, the filmmakers, have devised all kinds of elaborate ways of uh, implying touching without actually touching. Um, um, uh, and Iranian women directors have pushed uh, these boundaries of what is allowed and what's not allowed incredibly. And he, in this film, he talks to Rakhshan Bani Etemad on the phone. And she's one of the foremost directors who uh, has uh, done very good documentaries and fiction films, very well known. And we brought her to... Uh, to Chicago to show some of her films. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incredibly dynamic women's cinema. And so in addition to art house cinema, you have women's cinema, which is very, has been very productive. And, uh, so how do you reconcile this ban on some filmmakers? And how do they kind of, how do filmmakers learn to uh, film between the lines where they, don't, they are not attacked? I think it's a part of the history of, uh, of, of, uh, of Iran. In, in many ways, Iran has been a, a, a monarchy of one sort or another for about 2,500 years. Uh, uh, and so people have learned to um, um, say things without meaning it, do things without appearing to be doing it. I mean, it's a very complex society, and and it, it it results in incredible poetry, incredible art, uh, but also in a very difficult uh, 
uh, social world because you never know what people mean. You have to really know the uh, the language of, of of discourse to understand what people do, why they do what they do, why, why they say what they say. It's a so it's a it's a fraught um, culture, but also a very artful and very um, complex. Uh, just living is an art. And succeeding is an art, and it's and you can see it in this film. The way they're talking to each other is really quite. The they rarely talk directly to each other. There's always um, sinews. Um, also, the difficulties of of bringing films uh, to the international public. Uh, I know Panaki was arrested and in New York, right, in uh, 2001, um, before September. I mean, he was arrested in April, uh, so there was not even the paranoia uh, yet. Uh, but he was arrested because he was in transit going to Hong Kong, and he had no idea that he would have to be fingerprinted in New York just to set foot on American soil on the way to catching another plane. And uh, those kind of are traumatic experiences because the idea of, of being pursued everywhere, right? The idea that wherever he goes, he can be stopped or pursued. I mean, it's very, uh, very disconcerting. And apparently uh, he even got uh, kind of depressed over this and was, you know, if I'm a filmmaker, right? I mean, I love what he says, uh, if, uh, if we didn't need to have films... Why, why? I mean, if we could just use a script, why do we need films? I mean, the yeah, whole... You can't tell film. Right, you, you can't tell film. I mean, <laughs> yes. the, the, the superiority of the medium. Yeah. I mean, how, the, you know, this is the medium that he loves. Right. And, and he wants to share it with the rest of the world, right? Yeah, I think the, the thing that the Iranian filmmakers have been able to do, at least the art house filmmakers, uh, is to um, uh, tap into the international uh, financing, international marketing, uh, co-production with uh, um, uh, global television, right. uh, uh, um, um, film festivals, um, uh, and uh, there, the the international festivals have been very receptive to Iranian films, uh, partly because, in contrast to the government, which is very repressive, these films are coming out as a sort of a triumph of art under right. difficult conditions. So, they film f- uh, international film festival want to promote these right. films that have been made under difficult conditions, um, and um, and so. Iranians at home feel proud that their films uh, are being shown abroad and celebrated and so forth. And in, basically, Iranian films have won almost all of the top awards That's internationally right. from Oscar on down. That's right. And uh, it's, uh, it's, I, I don't, uh, I'm not advocating the censorship and difficulties and, and so forth, but sometimes difficulties actually make you... Uh, Try harder. Uh, try harder, work harder, write better poetry and better films and and so on. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to also go back to something you were talking about, the difficulties of filming, and how many of these filmmakers, these art cinema uh, filmmakers, are shooting in the streets, right? Particularly when they're shooting with women 
in how can you explain that yeah i think this is uh, according to the islamic republic rules if you want to shoot a um um a woman uh on film uh she should be veiled uh if she's at home and she's in in the in her bedroom with her husband she shouldn't be wearing the veil right Obviously. They're the closest uh, uh, um, uh, uh, pair, yet they have to wear the veil, uh, which will then seem very unnatural to That's the right. audiences. Why is she wearing the veil uh, in front of her husband? Well, because she is not related to the audience. It's the audience that's the problem. The audience will see her unveiled. So she has to actually, she's wearing the veil from the audience, not from her husband. <clears throat> so, as a result, a lot of filmmakers, including Panahi, have shot uh, um, much of their films in the streets, in public, where women wearing the veil is naturalized. That's the law. You have to do this, and so um, everything is okay. But then, again, uh, era, the, the filmmakers have pushed the boundaries of space, and they've created a third space for filming. Not the interior private realm, not the exterior social realm, but the taxi. Inside the taxi. You recall Kiaro Stami's film, uh, uh, Taste of Cherry, uh, Cherry, The Wind Will Carry Us. Uh, look at Panahi's uh, Taxi. Uh, look at uh, uh, Ten. Look at, I mean, there are so many films made by Iranians in taxis because taxis are in between places. They're both a private space, but also in the public view. And so, again, when there is limitation, I think it forces people to find, uh, filmmakers, to find ways of, um, of expressing uh, what you need to express right. uh, differently. And so, um, and Iranian women directors also have, um, have pushed... Um, these limitations to create, you know, aesthetics, aesthetic, beautiful and meaningful um, uh, film. And filmmaking in the, the before the revolution was in many ways, except other than art house filmmaking, cinema was in, in many ways was abhorred as a as an immoral um, profession because a lot of the pre-revolution films were filled with song and dance routines and and uh, very leering. Uh, uh, exhibitionist uh, filming and, and and performances and so forth, <clears throat> but after revolution, cinema in many ways has been cleaned up, so to speak, and maybe too cleaned up. But that has actually allowed the women to come in in in, in force and for cinema to gain prestige as an art form and not just as a commerce, as a cheap, immoral commerce for uh, making money. Mm. Although that cinema also exists, there is a popular cinema, but you don't have the song and dance and, and naked women and so forth. But you have po- popular stories, popular um, uh, you know action, uh, violence, chases, you know those sort of things. Uh, and uh, uh, speaking of violence, I mean, a um, uh, professor uh, Debashi at some point said uh, um, that uh, violence in uh, um, in Panahi's films, is like a ghost. 
And I always liked that quote. The um, idea that violence seems to be always there. It's uh, psychological violence, is uh, political, mm-hmm. uh, it's social violence. It seems to be there against women. I mean, he often has women as protagonists or co-protagonists of his films. Um, but you never see it. It's off screen, but it's even more kind of has penetrated the, the, the fabric, right, of whatever he does. And I thought it was very uh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in this film, the threat of the state is right. is overpowering, and the state is not there. You know, we don't see a policeman coming to his door and say, stop filming. Right. And yet, it's it, every conversation, in every action, in every telephone call, right. um, the state is there. Right. Somebody's listening, somebody's and of course, in our age, with the with the social media and and internet and so forth, we are very well aware aware that somebody is watching us. It may not be the state necessarily, although that might be as well. But you know, the, the people who want to pitch commercials to you, products to you, and so forth, constantly want to know. I will allow you to use this website if you. Um, give me uh, access to all your phone, uh, all your emails, all your photographs, and so forth. And if you don't, then you can use this website. Um, so we have our own form of surveillance in this country, which, which is perhaps even worse than the political surveillance that the Iranians had, because you could do certain things without anybody knowing about it. But now, with the per- because of the pervasiveness of, of the of, te- of technology and the way it has infiltrated itself into the fabric of our lives, into every second of our lives, uh, just even yeah, at the beginning of this, com- this uh, film screening, uh, the host asks you to put away your cell phones and, 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 and so forth. It, it's, it's everywhere with us, that, and somebody is always at the other end. Um, so... I think the day will come and has come already where people will take evasive actions and and, and uh, get off Facebook and Twitter and so forth. And I wish somebody would get off the Twitter. Um, there was, uh, since you brought up the issue of, of uh, uh, you know surveillance. Uh, how in general or in particular or in detail, how, how do these directors get their films abroad besides the cake? They, I'm they sure are. nobody can send cakes anymore, anywhere, <laughs> right? I mean, that's, uh, that's gone. Well, nowadays, you know, with Vimeo and other things, you can, you can send stuff out, you know, without having to move anything. But, but at some point he says everything is censored, right? I mean, he opens the computer and there are no websites that he can access, except and, and, the, and the ones that he can, he doesn't want to access. That's right. That's right. It's, it's a cat and mouse game. It's, uh, but, you know, they, they can send their films to international festivals, really. That's the, that's the main... Um, and there are certain distributors uh, who are interested in Iranian films, uh, uh, like Women Make Movies or uh, uh, Third World Newsreel or, 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 or other film distributors who legally obtain films and distribute them internationally, and, uh, and they're doing um, quite well. But I think Internet has become a major 
source of uh, of distribution uh, for them. They are under attack, of course, and the government um, harasses them, but you can always get away with... Oh, ask my students. I mean, it's like... There you go, yes. <laughs> they can do stuff. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, but the... Um, uh, also, what I think is interesting is... Um, um, how by smuggling or selling or you know entering the world of festivals, uh, festivals have acquired the role of the protectors in some way, right? I mean, by making these uh, filmmakers well known. I mean, Kerostami is somebody who can get away with stuff, for instance. I mean, in, in his film, when he produced, when he made the film 10, he said, if I had to cut everything that they told me to cut, I would have called it six. Um, <laughs> because, you know, everything had to go. Yeah. But he manages to keep, you know, things in his film. Uh, he was criticized in some ways yeah. uh, often for kind of, you know, creating trying to, to uh, make his way through this very dangerous uh, world. But on the other hand, I mean, his films are seen. and uh, I mean, that's the safety valve for yeah. them. If, if you uh, make a name for yourself and, it's, and your film is being shown in festivals and so forth, it's, uh, it may um, uh, throw, make the, the state censorship people be a little bit more cautious going after Kiarostami, for example. They may go after somebody else who's lower right. in, 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 the, in, in the fame department. Right. So let me ask you a question, and I don't know if you want to discuss it, but now that um, this kind of political or social or international pressure uh, has worked because Iran was part of an international community, and now with these developments, right, where Iran seems to be, you know, kind of cut off from many, right, there were previous engagements, I wonder what is going to be the future of these directors? How can they make their way through. Yeah, I think the situation is getting hairier with, uh, with the ban, the, the Muslim ban that uh, the Trump administration put in, for example, that, that, uh, that uh, prohibits the entry of um, uh, Muslims from seven majority Muslim countries to, to here. Um, it, uh, it, yeah, it would, it would, I mean, this whole business against immigrants, as the president said, from whole countries, um, uh, is, is wrong in many ways. Last year, I believe the six Nobel Prize winners in this country were all immigrants. Um, uh, uh, this country, is the CEOs of a number of major corporations in this country, including Uber and and and, and, and eBay, for example, are Iranians. Um, you, uh, there's so many people from abroad who have. I mean, look at the the, the uh, Chuck knows very well the uh, the. Uh, um, the heads of the first five major studios in the 20th century in this country uh, were all uh, Jews from uh, Eastern European countries. Uh, Hollywood was made by them. Um, So the contribution of foreigners and immigrants and uh, and so forth to American economy and culture and industry and so forth is just incredible. This country is enriched by... uh, 
by them. So I'm hoping that this development would be, you know, short-lived and, and will go back to the openness that this country has had and the benefits that it has gotten by openness to, to the world. Well, thank you so much. And thank you, all of you, thank you. for coming. Um, and, uh... You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.